we all need to understand that we're not that important in the scheme of things. And being a person and being human is working with others and loving others. You're listening to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast, the only leadership podcast run by undergraduate students dedicated to helping undergraduate students lead in diverse fields. From people in diplomacy to entertainment, from CEOs to student leaders, we feature people from all walks of life. It's all part of the mission. Here at the Vecina Leadership Institute, we make leaders better. Hello, and welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. My name is Kristen McGuire, and I will be your host. Today, I'm speaking with Lisi Cavalli. Lisi is a senior double majoring in international relations and modern languages, studying Arabic and French. She is also the current president of the Seton Hall United Nations Association, or SHUNA, and a four-year volunteer with Seton Hall's Division of Volunteer Efforts, or DOVE. Outside of Seton Hall, last year Lisi worked with the International Rescue Committee as a youth program intern in Afghan refugee resettlement and she is currently working at UNICEF USA as a Foundations Partnerships intern. Lisi, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Of course. Obviously, I just listed out some of your accomplishments and what you're involved in both on and off campus, but to start off, can you just briefly take us through your leadership journey that you've had here at Seton Hall and how you've gotten to this point? Yeah, definitely. I didn't think I would be at the point where I'm at now starting freshman year. For example, Model UN, Shuna, is the organization that I am most involved in. And freshman year, I didn't speak maybe once the entire first semester. I was not someone on a lot of people's radars. I was really shy. I didn't know exactly how to speak in a room full of people that I thought were smarter than me. And so now, senior year, being the president of the organization where some people didn't even know who I was is really cool and just very humbling to me. And also, a show of what, you know, people who think that they might not be able to do something that they can do that and reach that point. So it was a very interesting journey. A lot of that happened because of, you know, COVID, people were leaving and I I stuck around and I was really devoted to developing the team and I wanted it to be back to what it was before COVID. But yeah, no, it's just a lot of turnaround with administration and just who was still there and who was willing to continue being there. Sounds like you had a lot of growth on your journey. Yeah, I love that. definitely. So just going along that line, can you talk a little bit about what leadership means to you? You talked about how you kind of had to grow into that role. So can you speak a little bit more about that? It's interesting because people here who've known me for a long time probably wouldn't think that I'd have to grow into leadership because I'm a very loud person. I'm very friendly. My entire family knows that I was just an attention seeker when I was younger. I was a younger sister. I wanted to go into acting and music, and I was also pretty bossy growing up. But um, (laughs) when I reached college, I was around people who were studying and enjoying the same things that I was, and instantly it was just this, you know, imposter syndrome. It was like, oh, wow, I'm not the only person interested in international relations and debate anymore in my high school. I'm not the only one who speaks a foreign language. It's now how do I compare to everyone around me? And so being a leader in that sense, what it means to me is just understanding that there needs to be a person that other people can look up to and they don't need to have all the answers. It's just someone who is a good soundboard, a good person to refer to, a good person that you feel comfortable around. And that took a while for me to understand because 
as a leader, you often think you have to be bossy, you have to be direct, you have to know absolutely everything you're doing and know every answer to every question. But now I understand that it's not at all that because you have a team that's working with you and everyone should be able to do their job, you know? So delegation was a really huge thing that I had to learn how to do at being a leader. I can't do absolutely everything because I'll get overwhelmed and forget to do things. So being a leader is being, you know, like I said, a good sounding board, a good friend, a good listener, but also someone who is ready to delegate those tasks and understand that they are a part of something and they are not the head of the something. They're a leader, but they're not the group. They're not the organization because other people work with them. You know, when I listen to you speak, being a soundboard, listening, being there for others, and especially when I look at the place you've interned and volunteered, it seems like service is really at the core of kind of what you strive for. Can you talk about the role that service has played in your leadership journey? Service has been something that's been really important to me my whole life. I've been volunteering and working at food banks and other organizations like that since I was a kid. It's always been something that means a lot to me in the sense that service is all about humbling yourself and putting yourself in other people's shoes because you can't exactly serve at a food bank with a high and mighty attitude. You have to realize why you're there. And in that sense, I do think that leadership comes into play, just the sense of knowing, like I said, that you're a part of something larger and you are a small part within that. And knowing that you can give back in that way means a lot to me. I'm The reason why I'm super involved in service is because my mom likes to say I'm a very people person. Um, I love talking to people. I love meeting new people. And because I'm friendly, I often get put into that leadership role because I can be the person who is bringing together people from different areas. And service is the way that I meet those people. And it's the way that I'm able to also challenge my own cultural boundaries and my own knowledge of life and the world. Definitely sounds like you subscribe to the servant leadership model. I think I also <laughs> definitely relate to that. And I think it's especially pertinent to the work that we do in international relations. I'm also a diplomacy major, specifically with an interest in human rights as well. So I want to talk more specifically about your internships, your volunteer positions. Last year, you interned with the International Rescue Committee working in refugee resettlement with families arriving from Afghanistan. Can you speak more about that, that experience, what kind of services you provided, how that was for you? That internship opportunity was something that really impacted my life in the sense that now I kind of understand what I want to do with my life. Basically, I was a youth program intern, which means that I worked with the children of the families that were coming over to enroll them in local elementary schools. And I actually headed the program to first establish a preschool program. So we started talking with families with two-year-olds to get them into preschool. So that allowed time that would be freed up for the parents to go to work, to go to interviews, to go shopping for things that they needed. I also would take them to get uniforms. I would take them to buy backpacks to their doctor's appointments. I was often sort of the person who made the doctor's appointments, who would call the Wi-Fi people. I was basically the middleman <laughs> for everything to set up these people's new lives. We all need to understand that we're not that important in the scheme of things. And being a person and being human is working with others and loving others. 
being able to work with families that have lost so much but are so happy to be where they are in the sense that they are so grateful and the kids are so confused but also excited and it was just a very fulfilling opportunity and it was amazing to be able to be a part of their lives and to help them develop the next step in their lives and a lot of that came from a fact that I learned when I was working with them and when I was doing a research paper about refugees is just that a lot of people, you know, do believe that they're going back to their home after civil wars or famines end, and most of them don't. And that realization really hit me, and it made me realize that this isn't, you know, a temporary thing I'm setting them up for. This could be the rest of their lives. Like, this could be their children's futures. And being able to be a step in that is just amazing. Obviously, you worked very, very closely with these families and their children. I'm sure you had very personal connections with them. Is there something that particularly stands out to you from this position that you like think back to a lot? Yes. So I was working with African refugees, and African people typically speak either Pashto or Dari, and not Arabic, which I am learning Arabic, but they are somewhat related to it. So I can't speak with them, really. So we would use translation services. And that was a hamper on developing, you know, really personal relations. But there was one family where I believe it was the uncle, perhaps, of the family. And in a lot of these cases, uncles and aunts and cousins and grandparents are all part of the one family unit that I work with. So I get to meet all of them. It was an uncle, I believe, and he spoke English. So I didn't need to use any translation services with that family. And talking with him It was great in the sense that we were able to connect on such a deeper level. And um, he had a son who was my little brother's age. And he had kids and nephews and nieces who were interested in the same things I was interested in. And in the end of the semester that I was working with the IRC, it really did feel like a really deep connection. It was just... A very human moment when, you know, I'm technically working here, but I was able to still connect with people and still, you know, make jokes and also really emotionally connect to them in the sense that this could be me. This could have been my little brother. This could have been my sister, my niece, my nephew, because at the end of the day, you know, we're all humans. We all experience the exact same things. We all want the same things. The parents and uncles and aunts that I worked with all wanted the exact same thing my parents do. They want their children to be safe and happy, and they want them to lead a successful and happy life. And it's difficult for them when they are plucked from the only home they've ever known and now are forced to be in a country that they don't even speak the language in. And so being able to speak with him about that, you know, without a translator between us, was really special and also very eye-opening to me and an important step in the path that I want to continue in with human rights. When I think of international relations, it encompasses so many issues and there's so many skills that I feel like professionals in this field need to have. Emotional intelligence being one, empathy being another important one. If you had to choose like one or maybe a few important skills, what do you think is most needed in the field? I believe that being open-minded is probably the most important thing in just an international context, in the sense, even without international relations, but in the sense of interacting with anyone from not the same 
context as you, same cultural context. It is crucial to be able to see something that you do not understand at all and be okay with that. And that is something that I've had for a while. I grew up in an area with a lot of different cultures. So my culture, you know, wasn't the prominent one. And then I moved around a lot. So always having to change in that way. So I have had that open-minded trait for a while. But still, you know, I worked with families who were torn apart. I worked with families who had to leave behind a child. And eventually the child was reunited with them. But that is something I can't even imagine, you know. So just being open-minded also in the sense that they might do things differently. For example, I when we were doing the preschool program, I was talking with one family and they don't really have the same concept of, of preschool as we do. And they were really confused as to why we wanted to take their child. And it was something that I was like, oh, I... I didn't even realize it would be seen in that context because perhaps in their culture, perhaps at least in their family, it's quite strange for a two-year-old to be away from their mother. And rather than be, you know, well, your child should be in preschool. It's, well, what is the family comfortable with? You know, maybe my family didn't do that way. That doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's all about what the person you're helping with is comfortable with. And I think a lot of diplomats and people working in foreign service might have troubles with that, have issues, because it's really difficult to separate your life from those that you're trying to help, because perhaps you you think you know exactly what should be done. You don't often. So again, being humble and having an open mind, I think, are the most important things when working in an international context. And do you think that those are particular lessons that can be taken specifically from the human rights field, maybe more specifically the humanitarian field, the refugee, you know, resettlement? Yes, I definitely think so. Yeah, definitely. I want to shift a little bit more to the present now because you're now working at UNICEF and you are currently, as I mentioned, Shuna's president since 2001. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Do you think that your position in Shuna helped you navigate your role through UNICEF USA? And if so, how? Definitely think so. One of the things the hiring manager told me when we were going through the interview process was the reason why they picked my resume was because of all of my work with the UN in the sense of being involved in United Nations, both on the collegiate level and on the high school level, because we're also running a high school conference, which I am the secretary general of, which is basically president. So doing both of those things, they were really intrigued of me working with, you know, something that they work with. And it also led me into you know, being more sure of myself speaking. I probably wouldn't have been able to do this interview freshman year without (laughs) Shuna. Um, Just being able to continue talking, even if you don't know exactly what you're saying is something that Shuna taught me. But uh, (laughs) I think that's an important lesson for every diplomacy student to learn that they might not be able to word things exactly how they want, but everyone else in the room is thinking the exact same thing. How can I sound smart? And... Sometimes you just have to keep on talking until something sounds smart. And Shuna definitely taught me that. Being in Shuna was what propelled them to think about even talking to me for UNICEF USA. And then I wouldn't say a lot of 
traits I learned from Shuna apply to the current position in UNICEF USA. I'm doing a lot of research and drafting strategic documents, and that doesn't really correlate with, you know, debating and working on a joint resolution to combat world hunger. I do get to work on things that we perhaps talk about in Model UN situations, which is really cool. I've been working on an SRHR, which is Sexual and Reproductive Health Rights document, to try and get foundations to donate more to UNICEF. And that is basically my position. I'm a foundation partnerships intern. So I just work with foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, and try and see how we can convince them to give us more money, basically, and put that money towards on the ground projects that UNICEF does. So I wouldn't say a lot of the traits correlate or work with the position, but like I said, it was the gateway into me getting that position. And also, since I already know what the United Nation is, how it works, what branches and organizations they work with, it was definitely a bonus. Well, it sounds like you're doing really great work with UNICEF USA, and it sounds like it was a very full circle moment for you. I want to kind of zoom back now and look at it from kind of the the bigger picture, the entire perspective here. We talked about kind of your journey to get here and specific moments along the way that have led you towards the future that you want to have in the human rights field, specifically working with refugees and how you want to have an impact in that field. How do you hope that the leadership lessons that you learned during your time at Seton Hall carry on into your professional life? I think that, you know, the leadership traits that I've learned, such as, you know, being a soundboard, being a good listener, making sure that you know, you're humble when working with the team that you're working with. I think those are definitely invaluable when thinking about a future career, because obviously you're going into an entry level position out of college. You're not becoming a leader exactly, but being able to take those smaller traits that maybe not everyone thinks about as of being a leader and being able to implement them in an entry level position is really important in the sense that you know, you, you're not given a leadership position, but you can make a leadership position out of it. Absolutely. You could possibly, you know, work on a new project and head it. And you could work on a new document, a new strategic document, and be the one leading the, the research, even though there are people with years of experience around you. So the humble traits of being a leader are really, really important. Being a good listener is always a good trait to have because people in higher positions love talking about themselves. And if you just listen, they feel like you're really participating in the conversation. It's just something I've noticed. Quieter traits of being a leader. But also, I think it's important that as you're going into further positions, going up the ladder, let's say, you need to know how to speak up for yourself. There's going to come a moment where you deserve more than you're being given and if you don't have experience with speaking up for yourself or if you're not sure of yourself in that situation it could lead you to being trapped in a job that you do not get paid what you should be getting paid or you're not being given the tasks that you should be or you're being given too many of the tasks that you should be and it's just being a leader has a lot of traits, like I've mentioned, the quiet ones and the louder ones. And I think all of those that I've learned from Shuna, you know, first off, 
being quiet the whole entire first semester. I just listened to the smart people around me and I realized exactly what they were doing is what I'm doing now is just talking and knowing that no matter what comes out of your mouth, it's going to be something good eventually. And those leadership traits can definitely roll over into the broader sense of human rights and human rights careers. When you're working with people in different cultural contexts, like I said, it's important to be open-minded, and I've spoken about how those leadership traits can roll over. But also, when you're in a humanitarian role, you are often immediately seen as a leader in whichever climate or whichever environment you go into. And that is the most important moment for you to understand the smaller sides of being a leader, because there is all of this talk and all of this debate around humanitarian work. Do they leave the place that they go to worse off? Should they have never even gone in the first place? And that is something that I've had to think about a lot. This is clearly what I want to do with my life, but is it something bad? How do I make sure that it isn't something bad, that I'm not exploiting people or I'm not leaving exploitive institutions? And so listening to the people around you, understanding what the people you're helping want, rather than just thinking you know what's good for them, that is incredibly important in humanitarian work and human rights work also. When you get into legal institutions and human rights, specifically human rights law, you think that there's a right way to doing something, um, but there isn't. Law itself is very, you know, Western based. And so that comes off with a lot of bias as well. And so just understanding that you don't know everything and that you're working with a team and the team being perhaps your actual colleagues or a team being the humans that you're helping, you don't know everything and they know things that you don't and they are invaluable resources no matter their position in the organization you're working with, even if they're the very people you're helping. But yes, definitely the smaller attributes of being a leader are incredibly important in human rights work and humanitarian work because you do not want to be overstepping, you do not want to be an exploitative source, and that is really on behalf of everyone at the Pasita Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank the podcast team, 89.5 FM WSOU, for allowing us to use their facilities, and you for listening. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership, on Instagram at Pasita Leaders, and on Twitter at SHU Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.